Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, July 6th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Timonini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, happy belated 4th of July. Last I talked to you, you were at a BJ's bulk store Costco type place <laughs> buying a crap ton of hot dogs and mac and cheese and stuff. Did everything go well at your barbecue cookout thingamajiggy? Well, actually, the BJ shopping was for uh, the month-long birthday party for Justin. So oh. we're ha- having another birthday party for Justin. Uh, uh, and so that that was this thing. You know, he's got three groups of friends. The soccer friends and the local friends and then the school friends. So uh, that's coming up. That's That sounds like a popular guy. I I'm impressed. Uh, uh, he he arranged it much better than than I did when I was growing up. Uh, I have a lot to learn from him and his Jedi that's, ways. And it's al- it's almost Christmas. <laughs> okay, if you say so. I mean, all right. It's almost. Uh, it's, uh, it's only uh, eighteen Sundays to Christmas, isn't it, or something like that? I I don't know. Okay. All right. So <laughs> the uh, Scott Rudin brought us a Christmas present early, early this morning. So we missed it on uh, today on, yeah, uh, on the Wednesday show. But uh, A Doll's House Part 2 announces an extension cast. Yeah, James, you'll remember that when Scott Rudin announced that A Doll's House Part 2 was extending into early January, the word was that the majority of the cast would not be able to continue with the extension because of previous commitments. So it was not a surprise when yesterday we learned that three new cast members would be joining the show. But I've got to say, James, those cast members that were announced – Really kind of have me pretty excited. Replacing this year's Tony winner, Lori Metcalf, is fellow Tony winner and fellow 1990s blue-collar sitcom co-star Julie White. White had originally been announced to be a part of next week's Off-Center concert for Assassins before being replaced by Victoria Clark, and now we know why that replacement was necessary. On July 25th, she will lead a group of three new cast members, including herself, that will be joining original co-star Tony winner Jane Howdy Shell. Replacing Chris Cooper will be Stephen McKinley Henderson and replacing Condola Rashad will be Aaron Wilhelmy. Henderson is a star of stage and screen, just one of those faces that everybody knows. He's especially known for his long history with the works of August Wilson. He was nominated for a Tony for the 2010 revival of Fences, for which he recreated the role on screen last year. He also won an Obie Award for the Pulitzer Prize winning Between Riverside and Crazy two years ago. Wilhelmy was most recently seen on Broadway last season. His Mercy Lewis in The Crucible. She also appeared off-Broadway in American Hero. That that was about a like a sub shop, like a subway kind of thing. The Great Immensity and the Great God Pan. James, I I don't know if this group will be able to continue the box office gains that the show has had lately, but if I were in New York City and whether or not I'd seen the original cast or not, this cast would get me excited enough to go back. Okay, let's talk about being ridiculous here. What a <laughs> what a cast. Oh, my goodness. I'm I, so excited. And probably because it's a Scott Rudin show, we're not going to get reinvited as reviewers. But right. I'm going to have to buy a ticket to this. What a cast. I, last week when we were talking about Assassins, I talked about my love yeah. for Julie White. Mm-hmm. I mean, going all the way back to Grace Under Fire. Like, that's like that's a show I remember watching growing up um, uh, with her and, and Brett Butler. Uh, and Dave Thomas was on it. And, you know, it's just it was not a great show, but it went on for a while. So she was a part of my childhood. And then, you know, Stephen McKinley Henderson, like he's just that he's just one of those guys who if you see him on screen or on stage, you're just like, OK, 
I'm in good hands. He is a professional. Everything he does is really great. And and I'm just uh, you just know that you're in, in in really good hands with an actor of his quality. So I, I'm excited to see this. I, I, I mean, I, I hope it's still running. I'm planning a trip up later this fall. So I'm hoping that this is still running, you know, through its uh, announced January closing date, because if it is, I, I think this is one that's going to have to be on my on my list. I think with a cast like this, we possibly could be well into filling all of these seats that are available for this current extension so. and, and maybe even a further extension. I think this is great. In the Broadway radio timeline, there is BM and AM, which is before Matt and after Matt. <laughs> uh, and I think that between, uh, um, between Riverside and Crazy was before Matt, but I talked about how much I loved that show and Stephen McKinley mm. Henderson. I mean, just... I'm I'm floored. I love this. I love this. I love this. That's awesome. It's great news to start off July. All right. Do we have more good news? What about last week's Broadway grosses? Uh, not as great. <laughs> um, <laughs> because of the holiday on Tuesday, James, the Broadway League was a bit delayed in releasing last week's Broadway grosses. And is as often the case leading up to the 4th of July holiday. The grosses were down a decent amount last week. They also weren't helped by the closing of Sweat and Sunset Boulevard the Sunday before these grosses started. So obviously with two fewer shows, things were down already. As a whole, Broadway was down 9.38%, coming in at just under $32 million, down more than $3 million from the week before. In addition to the two shows that closed on June 25th, the grosses were also hurt by the seismic tumble that Hello Dolly took with Bette Midler on vacation. The show went from just over $2.3 million the last full week of June to just $936,603 with two-time Tony winner Donna Murphy playing Dolly. James, given all the extenuating circumstances with the holiday and bet on vacation, I don't know what this says about the longevity of the show post-bet, um, but that's a rough fall. Even if 936 k isn't a terrible number, for the 4th of July week uh, when, you know, tourists don't really flock to New York City and a lot of New Yorkers head out of town. With Dolly out of the way following Hamilton, which remained above $3 million last week, on the grosses list was The Lion King and Wicked, both eclipsing $2 million. Next was Aladdin, Great Comet, Dear Evan Hansen, which had its best week on Broadway yet. Then there was Kinky Boots, Come From Away, The Book of Mormon, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Anastasia, School of Rock, and The, and the Phantom of the Opera, all in seven figures. The Roundabout Theater Company's Marvin's Room was bringing up the grosses rear with just over $206,000, and one rung up was indecent at three hundred thirteen k. Now, James, in anticipation of this very thing, last week when we talked about grosses, we talked about the fact that it would probably take a couple weeks of the gross, gross reports to see if Daryl Roth's closing cancellation would pay off, since last week would have been the first week that the show was closed. They were effectively starting over from scratch in terms of ticket sales, since by the time the, I guess, reopening was announced, all of the previous tickets for that week had been refunded. So uh, I'm assuming that as we get further into July, we'll start to see if the 
continuation of this production is really going to pay dividends. Unsurprisingly, because of this week, things didn't look great for most of the shows on Bubble Watch. All of the following shows saw week-to-week declines. Bandstand at $584,430, Warpaint at $678,717, A Bronx Tale at $697,209, Beautiful at $711,000, or $711,000, got $711 on the brain, I want a Slurpee, $711,000, thousand three hundred forty five dollars waitress at seven hundred forty three thousand five twenty one and groundhog day at seven hundred forty three thousand nine hundred seventy seven dollars james of those six shows i will be interested to see how many are able to keep it open through labor day and then through the first of the year obviously beautiful and waitress are in a much different set of circumstances because they have already recouped um but granted this is a weird holiday week but if they're Bringing in numbers this low now before recouping, uh, you know, this is still the summer. Um, You have to wonder how they will be doing in the deadly, quiet, early fall before the holidays start. And then especially after the first of the year. James, I would assume that since the fourth fell on a Tuesday this year, that grosses will be down a little bit um, from normal. Uh, You know, Monday shouldn't be impacted too, too much since most shows are dark. And then Tuesday isn't the biggest day on Broadway. So I think things will be down a little bit from normal, but up from last week when we get these uh, reports next Monday. But I would think they'd then go back to normal peak summer levels thereafter, right? I, you know, I was in Times Square this afternoon, and um, it was packed, and seemingly everything was hustling and bustling. Uh, I wonder, you know, if we were to call uh, the Hilton, if we could get a room. You know, it, I, I think that that tourism is very hot in New York City right now, and things are normal in Times Square. You have naked people screaming on the top of the TDF <laughs> booth and things like that. So. Uh, we'll have to see if that translates into uh, steady ticket sales in, in next week's grosses, but yeah. stay, t- stay tuned. I mean, uh, you know, we're only a couple of days away from the next release of the Broadway League's uh, grosses, aren't we? Uh, assuming the Broadway League releases them on schedule. Okay. So what's up in the show and casting news? Well, yesterday, rehearsals began for the Manhattan Theater Club's original Broadway production of Prince of Broadway, the career retrospective review for the legendary director and producer Harold Prince. Co-directed by Prince and five-time Tony winner Susan Stroman, the show will feature the likes of Tony winners Chuck Cooper and Karen Ziemba, nominees Emily Skinner, Brandon Uranowitz, and Tony Yazbek, along with Janet Tacal, Brianna Marie Parham, Kaylee Ann Voorhees, and Michael Xavier. The show is set to begin previews at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater on August 3rd, and tickets are currently on sale through October 22nd. I wouldn't expect an extension, no matter how good ticket sales are, because MTC does have another show scheduled to begin previews there in November called The Children. In addition to co-directing, Stroh will also choreograph, while two-time Tony nominee David Thompson has written the book, and three-time Tony winner Jason Robert Brown is pretty much doing everything, including writing new songs, doing the arrangements and orchestrations, and serving as music supervisor. The show will include fully staged hits from such musicals as West Side Story, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Fiddler on the Roof, Cabaret, Avita, Company, Follies, A Little Night Music, Sweeney Todd, The Phantom of the Opera, and more. That's just a Stupid resume. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, the show had a really, really, really out-of-town tryout in late 2015 playing Osaka and Tokyo, Japan. So we'll see how uh, American audiences react compared to Japanese audiences, James. 
<laughs> All right. There's an open call announced in October for the Share Show Lab. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. This thing, everything about this, this whole share musical seems a little unusual. Uh, but anyway, yesterday, Telsey and company announced that later this month, they would be holding an open call for the role of Babe in an October lab for the share show. As I'm sure everyone remembers, the idea behind this musical is to have three different women playing share during different phases of her life. The first, the youngest, is Babe. That's during her early life and the relationship that she had both romantically and as a performer with the late Sonny Bono. That role was played by Jillian Mueller in the recent readings. Then there is Lady, which follows her breakup with Sonny and as she starts to become a star on her own, both in terms of popular music and as a movie star. In the readings, Tony winner Lena Hall, settle down, James, played this character. And then the final of the trio is Star, which was played by Olivier winner Leslie Margarita that kind of follows Cher through the 80s to where we know her today. The upcoming lab will run from October 2nd through 29th, and the call is open to women of all ethnicities, which is kind of cool, from late teens to early 20s. The character is described as, quote, fiercely independent, anxious to, quote, get up and get out. Nice gypsy reference there. And a girl searching. Auditioners are encouraged to be themselves and do not do a share impression. Oh, Lord, that would be <laughs> brutal seeing 19 and 20 year old uh, women doing a share impression. Uh, seeing anyone do a share impression is always a torture if you've got to see it for too long. Anyway, James, there's no word if Lena or Queen Leslie are going to be involved with the lab or the subsequent Broadway production. But on Twitter yesterday, in response to someone asking if she was Queen Leslie and a way that only she can said, quote, the only thing I'm attached to is the knowledge that you should never get attached to anything except dogs and cookies and wine. <laughs> James, I hope that Lena and or Leslie continue to move forward with this project. But either way, it looks like they are moving full steam ahead with this. And with Cher herself tweeting earlier this spring that the show would be coming to Broadway in 2018 for whatever that's worth. With the lab wrapping up in October, that does give it enough time to turn around a production for late spring 2018, should things go well and there's a place to house them. I am looking forward to the new Cher Theater that she's going to build on Broadway in order to house this show. So applause around. around. I mean, look, if, yeah, if there's if there's enough parrot heads to get the Jimmy Buffett musical on Broadway fairly quickly, I've got to imagine there's enough Cher fans to get a Cher musical on Broadway fairly oh, quickly. Oh, sure. I just uh, it's a matter of timing more than anything more than anything else. Certainly, yeah. you know, if there's an available theater, there will be a Cher show on Broadway. Uh, absolutely. How about, how, how about this, James? We still have not heard the season announcement for the majority of the Roundabout Theater Company. We've heard of some little things, but we don't really know what's happening in their Broadway houses. Can you imagine the Cher show at, 50, at Studio 54, like at at the actual Studio 54? Like that seems like that would be pretty perfect, whether I can't imagine this being a Roundabout production, but maybe renting out the space. I mean – I, I, I know the, the the financial logistics of that would make it difficult, especially if they think it'll run for a while. But it seems like a match made in disco heaven to me. <laughs> well, if they sell candy at Willy Wonka, what would they sell at the share show? Cocaine. You see, you got it right away. You complete me. <laughs> it's a little before my time, but, you know, I got it. <laughs> All right. Josh Groban announces a new coffee table book. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. I've, I've got to learn to be more mysterious with these headlines, James, because that's pretty much all we know. Other than it's called Stage to Stage, My Journey to Broadway. In a tweet last night, Groban sent out a picture of the book's cover and said, quote, Hey, all the last few years have been insane. So I made a coffee table book about it. Makes sense to me. It's full of great memories. Pre-order info soon, double exclamation point. I, I'm not sure if this will do Hamilton levels of Amazon sales, but, I, you know, much like there's plenty of parrot heads and share fans, I think that there will be plenty of interest from Grobanites in this book. Um, I'd be interested in it, too, because I think uh, kind of the process of him learning to play accordion while on his own tour for Great Comet, uh, I think that's pretty interesting. And, and look, I think Groban has a long uh, career ahead of him on Broadway, and I think to be able to see what led up to his Broadway debut in some vivid pictures. We know we know plenty of coffee table books from the the curtain call folks and all the all the things that have come out in recent years. It could be pretty compelling. So, I guess I'm down with this. I you know uh, I wonder if possibly it could have been a joke. Could it have been? <laughs> I don't know, man. The, the 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 cover the cover image looked pretty legit. So I I don't know. I guess we'll find out. It's too legit to quit. Um, so uh, there was something else I was going to say about this, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, oh, that because the headline was the entire story story similar to the Isherwood story, settling with the times. Oh, That's well. all we know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe the terms of Isherwood settlement will be in Josh Groban's coffee table book. Uh, crazier things have happened. All right. Royal Shakespeare Company to scientifically measure a show's shock value. Yeah, there is more to this story uh, than just in that headline, but it is kind of crazy. Yesterday, the RSC announced that for its upcoming production of Titus Andronicus, a research project will be conducted in collaboration with Ipsos Mori to monitor the emotional engagement of a theater and cinema audience. The RSC says that the project aims to answer two questions. One, does Shakespeare still shock? I think if anyone paid attention to what happened at the Delacorte last month, they know that. And number two is the emotional engagement of watching a play live at the theater, the same or different to that of watching it live at the cinema. According to a press release, uh, the RSC will recruit a sample of participants who will wear a heart rate monitor on their wrist throughout their experience of watching the play. There will be two groups, a sample of theater audiences who will watch the show in Stratford-upon-Avon at the Royal Shakespeare Theater, and a second group who will watch the live from Stratford-upon-Avon broadcast of Titus Andronicus in a cinema when it is streamed live on the 9th of August. The two groups will be demographically matched based on age, theater experience, and gender to achieve a comparable set of results. In addition, the participants will immediately after the show complete a series of short interviews to explore the strength of reaction and engagement. Results from the project will be released in November of this year. James, I'm all for incorporating as much data into the theater as possible. I'm a huge 538 fan and, and Freakonomics fan. Um, so if we're going to do it, I guess Titus Andronicus is as good a show as any to do something like this. But I, I guess I don't understand what the application of this data would be in future productions, if any. The selling of cookies. <laughs> uh, you know who you couldn't do this with? Um, Titus Andronicus, because he has no hand, so, uh... <laughs> Mammoth. You can't do it with Mammoth, because you're not allowed to interview the audience after, uh... <laughs> after a show. You're not allowed... Well, no one's allowed to talk about Mammoth's shows, but... Yeah. I th 
probably interview the audience just after they've left the theater because you can't do talkbacks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, whatever. no, there's a two-hour window that you're not allowed to do it. <laughs> Is there really? It, it's, actually, it's actually in the rider, yeah. Two hours after the curtain comes down, you are not allowed to, not allowed to engage the audience uh, with a discussion about the show they've just seen. David Mamet, not not Shakespeare. No, yeah, Shakespeare's writer is much more complicated. Green M&Ms and all this stuff. Yeah, it's weird. 29 of them in a jar. Yeah. All right. So uh, why don't you get us out of here? Oh, Lord. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter at Matt, and subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Hey, did we talk about Al Sills? I mentioned it yesterday. Yeah, on uh, at the top of yesterday's show. Well, let me talk or- about it. Okay, you I, talk I want to talk it. about it. Everybody, go listen to it. It's really, really good. I had nothing to do with it. I had absolutely nothing to do with it, and uh, and I listened to it as a fan. And as a fan, I'm like four stars out of four stars. Oh, so, I was say out of five. Uh, I mean, you can't no, even. No, no. Yeah, no, five out of four stars. <laughs> no, Al is the absolute best, and and I feel like my life is reaffirmed, and I leave every conversation I have with her, whether I'm actually having it or I'm editing it afterwards, I feel like I leave a better person just having heard her talk for an hour or so. Well, she rocks. So my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Thursday with us in this really weird week, and uh, Matt and I will come back to end the week again tomorrow. Wait, tomorrow's Friday? Yeah. I'm so I'm so confused. You're almost back to work at Broadway World. Stop it. <laughs> Seriously, like I <laughs>